Welcome to the Herd Quitter Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Lumen. On this show, we talk to farmers and ranchers who aren't afraid to think for themselves and do things a little bit differently. We hope these guests will challenge you to look at your farms and ranches in a new way and result in a more profitable and enjoyable business for you and your family. Welcome back to the Herd Quitter Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Mark and Sarah Hewitt from Kilkenny, Minnesota. They have a pretty unique story because although their family does farm, they've actually chosen to venture off on their own and are starting a farm from scratch. Uh, They're not afraid to do things a little differently as well, which is what this podcast is all about. And so I know their story is going to have so much to learn from. And I'm really just grateful that y'all have been willing to join me here this morning. Uh, Thanks so much. And welcome to the Herd Quitter podcast. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, I, uh, I guess I'll just start with giving you guys the opportunity to introduce yourselves, talk a little bit about what all you're doing, because there's probably more than I could have ever remembered to uh, mention in, a, in an intro. So I'll give you the chance to introduce yourselves and talk about kind of all the different things you got going on. Yeah, I guess I can start and cover some things and then Mark can maybe cover some more of the crop side and stuff. Um, so I'm Sarah Hewitt. I'm on here with my husband, Mark. And uh, we, like you said, uh, left a family farm uh, and decided that we were going to build our own farm and do our own thing. And we predominantly raise kind of a variety of things. We're actually quite diversified, I guess. We have retail beef. So we started doing that about three years, three, four years ago now. Um, we have honeybees. So we started those in 2014, uh, out of our garage in town while we were living in town. <laughs> and then we also recently started a registered Suffolk herd. Mm. Uh, so we have Suffolk sheep and I then I work full time <laughs> off the farm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of the livestock side of things. We consider our bees livestock, I guess. Um, and we sell all the honey from them and everything too. So I'll let Mark kind of talk a little bit about how our crop uh, farm works and what we do kind of different there, even though we technically are still commodity crops. Yeah, so we are about uh, about 440 acres of mostly corn and soybeans we got 10 acres of hay that we you know feed our our own cattle and sheep and horse and stuff but the crop side is kind of the the biggest part of our farm the crops look the same as everyone else's uh, but our soybeans we've always done a little bit different we we grow identity preserved soybeans so basically what that means is they don't go into the same production channels consumption channels as uh, number two commodity beans. Right now we're growing non-GMO beans that go to CGB and Savage. Um, We have in the past grown seed beans for seed companies. And we've also at one time grew food grade soybeans that would go to, I think they went to Thailand and Mm -hmm. and, uh, that Asian market for tofu and and other soybean based foods that they eat a lot of over there so the uh and the reason for that is just it's something different it's a niche market um we've always heard that if you're going to make it farming you gotta find a niche market and be good at it Uh, so Mm. this that's ours and it gives us a a premium price compared to commodity soybeans 
Um, on the corn side, you know, we, we don't grow anything special. We grow non-GMO corn, but really only just for seed cost savings. The things we do differently on the corn side is we're using strip till to apply our nutrients and only disturb the, the very minimum soil disturbance every year to get planted into a good seed bed. Uh, we also no-till our soybeans in, uh, so it helps us control erosion and just kind of build soil structure um, throughout our entire farm. I should also mention that I work full-time off the farm as the service manager for environmental tillage systems who builds strip-till machines. We build the Soil Warrior strip-till machine. Um, that's, uh, that's really a quick rundown of the you know, the crop side of our farm. Yeah. Well, well it's uh, easy to see right away that, yeah, you guys have a lot going on <laughs> and, uh, and I want to <laughs> dive into all of it and I'm not sure I'll probably end up forgetting something, but clearly you guys have chosen to do things a little bit differently between the direct marketing of, of crops, but also finding niche markets on the grains. That's something, you know, they're commodities for a reason. I guess they're, they say, you know, indistinguishable from everything else. And it's a pretty tough market to try and find some sort of a niche within. How did you, I guess, first of all, decide that you wanted to seek out some sort of a niche and then actually find a market to, to uh, differentiate your actual crop production from what everybody else is doing? I think part of it was just like looking at markets and trying to sell our soybeans in the past. You know, your farmers are price takers um you know the the market decides what our beans and corn are worth and we either have to uh produce more or we have to reduce our cost of production or we have to find a way to make more money on the crop we were growing and you know reducing cost of production we've done that as well with with our equipment we we used predominantly older equipment. Um, I was a mechanic for many years, so we basically buy equipment that needs some TLC and fix it up and, and make it usable for our farm. Growing more, that's pretty hard. I mean, we're, we're limited to genetics, weather. Um, any single year, we could have almost no crop. So we decided that really wasn't a viable and repeatable option. Uh, so it really came down to how can we make more off of what we're currently growing? Um, and that was just searching out programs that needed special crops and figuring out how to get into that market and how to grow in that market. You know, with non-GMO beans, obviously we can't use Roundup and Enlist mm -hmm. and, and, you know, the newer herbicide technologies. Um, so we had to learn how to manage the, the, the field to get the most yield out of those beans. Um, you know, weed control is still an issue with those beans. So we ended up doing a combination of herbicides and row crop cultivating uh, just to, you know, try and make sure we're, we're still being good stewards of our land. Yeah, and I guess, um, too, in, in my former life, I uh, worked for a company that one of our clients, uh, was in the identity preserved soybean world. Sure. So I kind of had an in with understanding a lot of, uh, identity preserved issues and things like that. And I actually worked on a campaign that I created 
essentially what is the U.S. Identity Preserved Soybean Stamp. Uh, so people can join in with that and they understand it and they know that when they're getting this crop uh, in Thailand or they're getting it in Vietnam or they're getting it, you know, wherever overseas from some of these grain companies that, that work in this world, they know that it's made in America. They know that it's a good crop. And so having those connections with where I was working at the time uh, really helped us kind of figure out that market. I was able to really talk to some additional people. You know, Mark mentioned that we sell to CGB. We didn't always sell to CGB. We sold to some other companies before, but through my time at my previous job, we were able to find some additional markets that were looking for growers too. So that part was really helpful, I think, kind of in getting us started in a slightly different market than than we were used to and uh, helped us kind of figure out, you know, that we could do this. And like Mark said, when we only have so many acres, we are young farmers. We can't just go buy a ton of land. Yeah. Uh, we, we rent predominantly and, um, you know, we are kind of, we are, we're in competition with the big guys, right. Mm-hmm. That farm mm-hmm. thousands upon thousands of acres. So when, so when our you know, our landlords really work with us. So when we can only afford this per for rent versus, you know, somebody that can just come in and and rent what they want kind of thing, we have to make sure that the acres that we are farming are producing for us. So if we can do that through identity preserved crops and and earn a little extra um, while we're doing it, and it does take a little extra work, but, you know, it it really kind of adds to our bottom line at the end of the day to make sure that we are maximizing what we are doing on our acres that we do have. Yeah. Well, that's, that's super cool. Cause I, I never really, I don't think talk to many people who are finding a way to add value to a commodity crop like corn and soybeans and soybeans specifically in your situation. So the fact that you found that market and are able to do that is pretty awesome. And then I also like the, uh, the reducing overhead, you know, is one of the, I, think it's probably one of the largest expenses in the average farm is overhead and stuff and, and equipment and and you've sounds like you've clearly found a way using your strengths and skills uh to to reduce that with equipment and I thought I remembered seeing somewhere on a post too and, and I tried finding it before this to like get more clarity so maybe I'm, I'm misunderstood or wrong about this but have you guys kind of chosen to minimize debt and to try and, and buy what you you do in cash is it do I understand that right that's correct. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that that's really unusual in agriculture. I, I think I, I don't know where I've heard it, but like people say you literally can't be in agriculture without debt, especially, you know, at the scale. I mean, maybe vegetable producers and more small scale crop producers and things, but you guys are operating at what is, yeah, it's maybe not huge scale, but it's definitely not small. It requires some expensive equipment. How, how have you guys done that? Um, well, I, I joke in a way, but I, I'm actually not joking <laughs> that <laughs> Our first equipment, like the entire lineup that our loan was the equivalent of what someone would spend on a new car. Like we're <laughs> like, we spent $50,000 and that set us up wow. for the year. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so we farmed, we have started now that we're on like year four and five to upgrade a little bit, but we're still doing it very much on a cash basis mm. and um, taking out, like you said, as minimal amount of debt as possible. It's, it's probably the funnest thing to be able to like pay off your operating loan every single year in full Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. uh, not have to like worry about it and still have cash in the bank. So (laughs) Mark uh, 
browses a lot of auctions <laughs> uh, in his spare time. And then we'll be like, oh, I found this great auction buy. We're going to go up north and go get it this weekend. Or we're going to go here and get it this weekend. Yeah. Um, but we have also ended up with a lot of really good equipment, you know, like our, and he can talk more to that too, but like our grain truck, for instance, um, we got it for about $3,000 off an auction because they couldn't get it to start. And Mark literally like jiggled a couple of wires and fired her right up. And it's probably a like $10,000 grain truck. <laughs> yeah. Was it that easy, Mark? It was, uh, it, it was about that easy. So I'll tell you a story about that. We, I had about an hour and a half drive home with it and, uh, driving down the highway, 55 miles an hour, all of a sudden it died. Oh no, <laughs> we're going in. Here we go. This is the end. Um, And so the first time I pulled over into a gravel road and reached under the dash, jiggled some wires, it fired back up. Like, oh, all right, loose wire. So I kept driving and it it started doing it again. And so then I got pretty good at reaching under the dash and jiggling the wire while I was driving and it would get fired (laughs) back up and I just keep on going. That's Uh, hilarious. Oh my God. it did it about four or five times on the the drive home and so when i got it into the shop just pulled the dash apart and one of the wires the the ends was just corroded off mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. just replaced a few wires there and and put it back together it starts perfectly fine now it never shuts off um the other thing they they were having trouble keeping it running you know when they get it started it it kept dying yeah. and this is a 1979 and really all I had to do was adjust the carburetor a little bit and now it, it runs like a dream. That's hilarious. It reminds me of, we had this lawnmower and it's obviously not a big piece of equipment or anything, but we just couldn't get it running. We couldn't get it figured out. And uh, we had somebody who's a little more mechanical than us. My dad and I are not mechanical. That's why we focus primarily on grazing cattle because we don't have to use equipment. They do the work for us. But uh, he said, oh, it doesn't, I don't think it'll work. You know, just, just bring it, you know, sell it or whatever. So we brought it to another mechanic and he said, yeah, I'll give you a couple hundred bucks for it or whatever and, and stuff. And, and then he, uh, I don't remember what he did. It was something with fuel and uh, he fixed it in like no time and it's run for him ever since. And now anytime we bring a, bring anything over to him, he's like, now am I just going to have to put fuel in it and it'll run again? Or is it actually broken this time? <laughs> he always gives us a hard time. Yeah. We, uh, we accept our strengths and mechanical, uh, strengths is not one of them, but it is such an asset in an operation like yours, I'm sure. Yeah. Our, uh, our first combine that we bought was, a you know, 1984 and the, the company that makes it, you know, got absorbed by another company. So they're, they're Massey Ferguson now. Um, mm-hmm. but I, uh, I put some bearings and belts and, and just little stuff into this combine that we bought for dirt cheap um and it ran for us for about what two and a half years uh through the middle of last fall we upgraded to a bigger combine and so when i was working to sell this combine one of the interested parties ran a tractor museum so that that shows you how uh the the (laughs) provenance of the equipment where we started with yeah. Well, when it goes straight from your, your harvest field to a museum, yeah, you know, that's, yeah. <laughs> you're running that ancient. Yeah, I love it. 
our combine kind of like became famous on social media because it was a white combine and people just were Mm. like oh my gosh you don't see those in operation anymore and like that's so cool and it got picked up I forget by like who um and uh it just like kind of went viral for a while and people just thought it was so cool and it's kind of cool. The person yeah. that bought it actually um, was another young farmer um, and it was considered an upgrade for him. He farmed about 200 acres. And so he was really excited awesome. to um, get a new to him combine. But um, all of our equipment is pretty much older than us. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Um, I'm curious, like why I know like debt and leverage, you know, obviously you don't, there's people who call, you know, good debt and bad debt. There's bad debt. That's, you know, like a for a snowmobile loan or, you know, or something that's not returning you. And then there's people who, you know, look at debt and leverage as an opportunity to scale or to use it to buy, you know, worthwhile investments that will make you more productive, more profitable or something. Um, And then there's, there's folks like that. I'm with you guys, by the way, I, I love the idea of no or minimal debt and stuff, especially on depreciating assets like equipment. But I'm curious why you, why you guys have chosen to go that minimal debt route as opposed to and trying to maximize leverage and use it to scale and all that stuff. Yeah, I guess uh, for me, so my parents went through the 1980s farm crisis and uh, Mm -hmm. they weren't in like a ton of debt or anything like that. But we kind of know during that time frame, banks just started calling in loans because they could, right? So my dad got a job in town after that uh, and they ended up with, you know, like 200 acres and basically $10,000 still owed to the bank. And he had Mm -hmm. refused to like mortgage the home farm, um, which is where my mom still lives. We still rent land from her and farm that land. Um, But like growing up for me, my dad farmed that little, you know, hobby farm, essentially 200 acres, right? Um, Completely debt free. Mm -hmm. He paid everything in cash every single year. And it was kind of just something that got instilled to me a little bit of like, don't go into a ton of debt for things that you don't need um, and things that, you know, like, can you make do? Can you, you know, like, what do they say? Every farm has the the junk pile in the back that you might use one day, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so yeah. a little bit of like kind of that mentality of, and, and he could fix anything too. So we always fixed our own equipment. We always, you know, um, made do with things and that's kind of the same mentality that we've kind of taken. Uh, we have just always operated with minimal debt. Like we don't want to be, you know, beholden to anybody at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And um, we know our numbers really well. We've really tried to focus on our farm financials and, and ensuring that, you know, we have a really good, you know, debt to asset ratio and that we can repay our debt. Mm-hmm. Um a lot of times over compared to a lot of other farmers. Um, So it's one of the reasons why we still have our full-time jobs. You know, we're at the point where we've kind of like set our goals of like, okay, when, when can one of us be home full-time on the farm? What does that look like? We've kind of started to have those conversations and like, what can we do as a side hustle kind of thing to, to just keep some cash inflowing that way. But what does it look like now, because we have kept our full-time jobs as long as we have to really cash flow a lot of the things um, that we have done and have kind of worked with our, our lending um, institutions to say like, you know, this is our goal. This is where we want to be. And walking into, I guess, to like our, our lender is, you know, 
the fact that we understand and know our farm financials and know our position has given us power uh, at a bank to say like, nope, you're going to lower our interest rate, which again, not a lot of Mm -hmm. farmers can do because they don't know their financials that well, but we do. So we were able to um, advocate for that and and lower our um, interest rate too. So by doing what we've done, it's just, it's created a lot of other things cash flow wise for us um, that have helped us. And, and we are at the point now too, like where we um, have the ability to like, like you said, kind of leverage some debt and leverage cash and say like, here's what we actually want to do. And here's our goals. And now like we can actually do that without, you know, strapping ourselves financially. And, and we've been able to make some investments and, and do some different things and um, increase some of our businesses. And, and, you know, like we said, like we may do with, you know, where our cattle were for three years. And then this last summer we invested in, um, a bunch of the, uh, portable fencing and, um, mm-hmm. you know, we wouldn't have been able to do that if we wouldn't have made do, you know, for the first few years, but then we were able to pay it in cash for all of this portable fencing. So, you know, we've just tried to really reinvest in our businesses now and, and we wouldn't have been able to do that if we wouldn't have started out the way that we did. I think part of uh, the reason that we think this way is when we were first married, we kind of started on the, the Dave Ramsey plan, if you've heard of it, sure. um, in order to pay down, you know, credit card debt that I had, student loan debt and truck debt and stuff while we were first married so that we could afford to buy a house. So we buy the house and then we continue to be penny pinchers and, and being frugal to try and save money and stuff so that in, I think when we bought our house, we said three years and we were buying a farm. That was our goal. And, mm-hmm. you know, the only reason we were able to buy our farm was because we had sacrificed for three years prior to save up and have a little bit of equity and money available to buy the farm um you know once we buy the farm then the farm can start working for us and making money and for us and stuff and and uh you know we we were on seven eight years of just penny pinching to to try and build equity and and so it's hard to go back from that we now that we have that mindset that we can we can save money and we can make do with what we have you know, there's no reason to, to have the brightest, shiniest, newest thing. Um, we just got so used to making do and, you know, the only time I, I don't enjoy making do is when something breaks down when I'm, you know, trying to get something done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. For sure. I, I like that. And I, I don't remember now which one of you had said it or something too, but it like, it, it just puts you in the position. I, I imagine like, because you've chosen to act this way, as opposed to if you were leveraged, super highly leveraged the entire time, and then the right opportunity comes up, you can't take advantage of it because you can't leverage anymore, you know, whereas you guys have put yourself in the yeah. position to take advantage. You know, you, it sounds like while you, you you certainly don't prefer it, you're not opposed to it if the right opportunity comes and you have left yourself open to using that as an opportunity if, if it does come up. Yeah, for sure. We, uh, we're always looking for opportunities that we can get into to propel the farm forward. Uh, I mean, just like last year, you know, we were having combine trouble towards the end. Well, not really combine, beanhead trouble. 
And so I went sure. to John Deere to try and rent a combine and bean head to finish up because the corn head was fine on the old combine and stuff. And, and so yeah. it worked out a deal with the salesman to rent a combine and a bean head. And they called me the next day and said, there's, there's too much wrong with this combine. We can't fix it and rent it to you for the price mm -hmm. we talked about. So sure. I went in, looked at the combine, talked to the dealership. And, you know, these guys didn't know that I was a combine mechanic for almost 10 years. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm just imagining you're like smelling blood in the water. You're like, here's an opportunity. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for the call. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we, I looked the combine over and, and look at their list of, of fixes they want to do. And I say, all right, well, you know, here's, uh, here's my offer. Uh, I'll mm -hmm. buy the combine and the, and the bean head. And, uh, so I, you know, it was a fair offer for what needed to get done to it. So bought it and I put a thousand dollars of parts in it, a week of labor into it over at night after work. And I had a, you know, a combine worth twice as much as when I rolled it off the lot. And if we hadn't, if we hadn't had these plans and sacrifices in our past, you know, that it would have been an opportunity we couldn't have taken. Um, we just wouldn't have been able to without what we've been doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. Uh, and, and then the other thing you talked about before we move off of the crop thing here uh, is the numbers. You said like, you know, your numbers and you've worked hard on your numbers. I'd be curious if you can talk a little bit about that, because I think a lot of people maybe have an assumption. And and I just recorded a podcast yesterday with somebody who works off the, the ran their ranch and stuff, too. And we had this conversation about like, there's nothing wrong with an off farm job, especially when you you're, it's not. I think there's an assumption that people have an off-farm job that it means that their business is not a strong business and that they're subsidizing the business. Whereas you guys have a strong business, you're just using this to enhance it and to further expand and improve upon it. So I'm, I'm just curious if you can talk about how well, you know, how you've gone about doing the numbers of your business. I think in the past you've mentioned Legacy Farmer is possibly a program that's helped you use that. Maybe talk about that if that's, if that's accurate. You know, talk about, yeah, what that's meant to you and knowing your business. Yeah, so we joined kind of when we left that left the family farm operation and went out on our own. We had a call with Dace from Legacy Farmer, and uh, we just kind of explained like we were sick and tired of what was going on, and and that we needed a plan. We needed to do something for us and for our family, and uh, we got started with the program. And at first, honestly, like the price tag was a little bit like. Cool, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. but um, uh, because we are penny pinchers, so we were both like, who, but we looked at each other and we just kind yeah. of said, like, we have to do this because we mm -hmm. we needed to do something different. And the program that they have in there, it truly like we finally really understand and grasp our financials in this last two years. We've really, um, you know, we were part of another program through the state of Minnesota previously. And we just always felt like we didn't fully have a grasp of it, but this way, like sure. we are inputting all of our information. We're making all of our projections. We're, we're really understanding. Mm -hmm. We have different entities set up. So we know, you know, what's our bar borrowing power based on just our corn. What's our borrowing power based on just soybeans. What's our borrowing power based on our beef business. You know, what's, 
What does it look like all combined? What if we happen to add in personal income? So we can set up like multiple financial scenarios for our business at any time and run our cash flows and see where we're at. So we can, so literally like we can go in and say like, nope, like this business entity stands on our own. And when we were, you know, when we went out on our own and we, we did switch lenders and everything like that. Um, that's what we did. We went into our bank and we said, no, this business stands on our, on its own, completely separate from our, from our off farm jobs. And we Mm -hmm. had the numbers to prove it. And, uh, it's honestly, I kind of geek out a little bit when I start to see the numbers switch and change. And I'm like, Ooh, what if I like can make an extra like $10,000 here and then look what it does. And, um, and, and, even when we, you know, make financial decisions, like when we made the financial decision to purchase a a bigger combine, like Mark said, before we would have been scared to even think about doing that. Because like he said, we were like so debt adverse. Well, as soon as we started plugging in those numbers and you literally, we saw like our end, our end numbers change by like $5,000. We were like, oh, okay, let's go do it. (laughs) So um, a lot of it's just reassurance too. like, oh, we are doing okay because all of our numbers are right here. We, we know what's going on. Um, we know our position at the bank. We know our, our position come tax time. And, um, I, like I said, I just love running all the different scenarios and without having that program. I mean, there's so many other benefits too. Like we have a group of farmers that we can talk to all the time about different things. We've met some of them in person and chatted with them at other events and um, just hearing what other people are going through in certain things. Like it's opened our eyes to other things that we need to take care of in our business and, and do in our business. So it's not just financials at the same time. Like it's helped us really tighten up everything. So that way we're not forgetting about something, whether it's something in a lease, whether it's a safety plan for a farm or, um, you know, even just thinking about something in terms of succession and, and what do we need to plan for and, and things like that. So it was definitely something that we needed and it has been a great benefit, um, to really, like I said, when you can walk into the bank and lower your interest rate, um, that's pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Um, what, I mean, maybe talk a little bit about what exactly the process or what, what the legacy farmer program does. Is it kind of like an accounting service or more than that? It sounds like it's kind of a little bit of everything. And, um, I mean, Mark can talk to it a little bit too, with, um, some of what he he's in like different groups in it than I am. And I'm in different groups in it, but I mean, there's everything from like understanding like sales roles and tactical calls and um, training for, you know, how to just, you know, have tough conversations with people like your seed dealers and things like that, or, um, you know, retail sales help. And like, what does that look like? And there's different weekly calls you can be on. I know, Mark, you're in a couple different ones. Yeah. You know, I'm in the, they've kind of got it broken out into a bunch of different things. There's the the full on everyone in the group. We have weekly phone calls that everyone can get on, and and they'll talk about an issue that someone's facing that has been they they're coming up with an answer for. So you get to hear other people's stories and issues, and it it allows us to 
share our perspective or if we've faced something similar, um, you know, we can tell them what we do. Um, there's a, a commodity marketing type call where the guy talks about, uh, different indicators to look at what we should be thinking about buying, selling, hedging, um, you know, all, all sorts of marketing stuff. Um, there's livestock groups, there's, you know, just a, there's just a men's and women's chat group that, uh, that we can talk about different issues. And the, the men's one is, uh, you know, pretty much people just asking how to fix something that they broke on the farm. <laughs> um, there, like but there, there's a lot of issues that we all go through that you feel alone like especially during harvest time the men's group is talking about how it it's so hard on our wives and kids us being gone all the time and how do we how do we show up better for our family while still you know, getting the work done that needs to be done. And I mean, it's farmers and ranchers from all over the U.S. sharing how they do it. You know, we come home for a half hour every night at bedtime and help the kids get to bed. Or if it rains, we, we don't spend the whole day fixing something. You know, we, we take a day and show our family how much we appreciate them, um, things like that. Uh, so there's really just, there there's, there's a ton of benefit just from the kind of cohort group aspect and being able to pick each other's brains. Um, mm -hmm. But there's also a, I mean, hours and hours of online training, um, how to understand your numbers, how to have conversations with the bank, how to, how to hire employees and find the right seat on the bus for them, how to sell. I, I mean, it, we, we've been in it for almost two years and we've barely scratched the surface of these trainings that he's put together. And one of the big things they focus on is understanding yourself and your triggers and, you know, what makes you mad, what makes you happy and trying to, um, address those in your business setting. Like if, if doing book work just triggers you and you can't do it and, <laughs> then that's holding back your business. Find someone sure. to do it for you so it gets done and it'll propel you forward because you no longer have to think about it. Um, so, mm -hmm. I mean, it's a, it's a whole mindset shift from just being the farm worker and I got I to gotta move cattle and I got to fix this truck and I've got to do this and that. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's thinking strategically about your farm and, and how to propel it forward, not just doing the day-to-day -day tactical things. Um, sure. Yeah, I, yeah, I can't recommend it enough. <laughs> well, that's awesome. That's a, that's, that sounds like a really neat program. I'll have to, I'll have to look into it more, but I, I appreciate the kind of the, the background on it. I, I, I like it. It sounds like it's been a big, obviously, uh, has been a great resource for you guys. I've listened to his podcast and talk about that, like, knowing your numbers and being able to go in with confidence to your banker and you'll get your interest rate down. And that, that's where it reminded me about them when Sarah had mentioned that, cause it was like, that sounds like a legacy farmer trick or a tactic. I guess. And so <laughs> I appreciate that, uh, that reminder, but, um, earlier, Sarah, there, you alluded to, to the kind of the, the previous, the family farm that you were working with and on and, and 
maybe if you wouldn't mind sharing a little context about what you were talking about with there and the decision that you guys chose or had to make to, to go off on your own. Yeah. So, uh, we worked in exchange, uh, with Mark's family. Uh, so we worked every spring and fall in the equipment. Uh, Mark usually was in a combine or driving truck. I did a lot of fall tillage, um, mm-hmm. did a lot of rock picking, uh, things like that. Um, and we farmed about 200 acres that we split at that time with his brother. Um, and you know, there was just like lots of little things, a lot of financial things that kept coming up that we were like, no, like you can't do this. This, uh, this isn't right. Um, you know, just little red flags, um, that kind of just kept popping up for us. And, um, we ended up buying our own planter. Uh, it was like, we bought it in like December for like the next spring because we just were tired of our acres always getting to be the last planted um, because we never had a say over when our crops got put in the ground Um, and we were just like nope we're gonna do this because we need to take care of our own acres Um, and we just kind of got tired of our goals and things that we wanted to do getting put on the back burner. Uh, Mark really wanted to try strip till at the time. And um, it just, it was, Oh, it'll never work here. It'll never work. You know, Um, that mentality Uh, we had wanted to uh, expand into livestock and diversify. And it was, well, why would you want to do that? You know? And, um, so we were just met with a lot of pushback on different things. And we kind of sat down one day and said, you know, like we have to worry about our family unit. So we've got two kids, you know, we needed to make sure that their future and our family unit was taken care of, you know, and there was again, more red flags that kind of just kept coming up. And we just said, you know, we're drawing a, a line in the sand and, and we're leaving. So it was definitely not easy. Um, sometimes, uh, what is the phrase that farming with family is both like the best and worst thing <laughs> um, for <laughs> yeah. a lot of people, right? And we just maintained and we still maintain to this day, like you have to build your own thing as like a young farmer. You have to make sure that you are taking care of yourself. Um, you know, we had, there was no plans in place. There was no succession plan. There was nothing in writing. Um, and having another person there, like I said, Mark's brother, um, that we were just like, we don't know, we have no clue. And we just aren't okay with that anymore. So yeah, we made that decision to say, sorry, like, but we're going this way and you guys do your thing and we'll do our thing. And, you know, and it, it hasn't always been easy. That first year was really tough. We had a lot of friends that showed up in big ways for us. You know, we had friends that came and helped us harvest um, when we were kind of getting towards the end. We had another farmer who, when we bought our combine, we were, we just put a post out saying like, hey, could we borrow someone's header trailer? We need to go pick up Mm. the corn head. And, you know, we just need some assistance. We'll return it in, you know, a day or two until we find um, whatever. And Mm -hmm. um, actually it was a coworker's brother she brought it up to him and he was like, I have one in the weeds at a farm site that we haven't used in years. Cause our stuff is too big for it. You guys can have it. Yeah. <laughs> and we were like, that's awesome. blown that's away. Awesome. Right. Yeah. 
people came out of the woodwork to help us. And, and we definitely don't take that for granted. We're eternally grateful um, for that. And we try to help our other friends when they need help and, um, you know, just kind of try to pass it on uh, because people have helped us. But I think it's just so much of it. And, and being a woman too is like security, right? Um, women are tend to be more worried about things like financials and future and, and things like that. Um, <laughs> yeah. and knowing that they're secure. So it was a lot of, a lot of that of let's build our own thing. Let's do our own thing. Let's make our own decisions. And, and Mark can speak to this too. I think when he got to finally like make his own decisions, he was like, hallelujah. <laughs> yeah. when it came to, to that. So, yeah, a lot of times, uh, during the you know the the planning season i would i would talk to the the family about we need to sit down and look at seed options and options for chemical and this and that and and they'd say yep yep we'll uh we'll have a meeting someday and a couple <laughs> weeks go by and i asked about the meeting and say oh yeah we already ordered all the seed and chemical oh, man and i was like oh. well that's not what i wanted to do so yeah and mm-hmm just feeling the freedom to make my own decisions. It was, it was Mm -hmm. great. And I mean, we had seen too many people that we know, you know, they're they're 40, 50, 60 years old working on a family farm and their dad is still making all the decisions, still controlling all of the, the costs still, you know, they're working for their dad at 50 years old. And, and, you know, not to say there's anything wrong with that, but, that just wasn't what we wanted for ourselves. You know, we wanted to have a, a business that supported us and our family and, and was our business that was there for our kids if they choose to go that way. And so, yeah, just decided to build our own thing, which I mean, ha- has been great. It's like Sarah said, it's had challenges. Uh, and there are days where it's like, man, I really wish I had access to, you know, this, this mini excavator or this flatbed trailer mm-hmm. or something or another. Um, but I've always made do, you know, I've, I've yeah. just learned to, I find the right people that have these things and pay them to do it. Like we, we had the mm-hmm. tile repair that needed to be done this spring. And, you know, I could have done it myself. I could have rented an excavator and, and spent three days hauling equipment around and, and getting it done. Mm-hmm. But I decided that I could hire someone out. They could come get it done in a timely manner and we could get to planting. And, and, you know, that's what I did. And I mean, it was a great decision because I used that time that I would have been doing that to do other stuff, get the planter ready, install the, you know, the precision planting upgrades I put on the planter this spring. Um, You know, it's, the money freed up my time and yeah, I mean, it's just, it's all about finding, finding ways to utilize the resources you have available. Yeah. I, it's unfortunate, but I think this kind of a situation that you kind of outlined here is probably way more common than, than uh, we'd like to think. <laughs> I know of several people off the top of my hand who have, yeah, you know, top of my head here who have had similar struggles with family, you know, a not giving any sort of clarity for long-term plans, which in itself is you know bad, but B not giving any sort of uh, I don't know uh, management or just not really giving them 
the opportunity to get involved beyond just labor. And, and, and that's the real challenge too. And, and, uh, you know, obviously, you know, as family, for most people, we probably want to try the best we can to make it work. But at some point, you have to be willing to do what you guys did. I, I think I see, like you're saying, too many people who just wait, hoping. And, uh, and, and, and some situations, maybe, maybe that's best, maybe it works out, you hope you hope it you hope it does. But uh, I think it I think people need to be willing to take the step that you did and, and like look out for themselves. I, I think that that makes a lot of sense. I think you can't learn some of the lessons that that you learn building your own thing. If, mm-hmm. if you're if you're working for someone who has kind of things established, you know, if you're you're farming with your dad and some of these some of these lessons, you just can't learn anywhere else. Like the the decision making process when you're broke down in the field and the rain is coming and, you know, what do I do? Do I, do I call the dealership and have them come out and, and fix it? Or do I call my boss and say, Hey, I'm only available by phone. I got to get my combine fixed, which I've done a lot of both. <laughs> um, you know, it's that you, you don't deep in your heart. You don't understand what it takes to, to build a business and run a farm until you're doing it with, you know, no safety net. You know, it's it's a different kind of terror, but it is it's exhilarating. Yeah, and I imagine that it's come with a tremendous amount of help, like pride too. Like you, you're not just a arrogance, but like a pride in what you've built and what you've done that you never would have experienced had you just been, you know, kind of working with a family established farm too. I imagine. Absolutely. Yeah, Mark. Yeah. Mark this uh, past summer here. I guess he was working on the combine. And he took a picture of it and sent it to me. And he goes, do you ever just like stare at something and just go, wow, this is really all mine. <laughs> yeah. So, that. you know, yeah. and like, you know, we always get asked the question, like, you know, like, where do you see yourself in five years? And like, you know, all that stuff. And I was like, mm-hmm. you know, right now we're just trying to take the time to really appreciate like what we have built and mm-hmm. where we have been mm-hmm. and how far we've come because like five years ago we wanted to be farming right five years ago we wanted mm-hmm. to be out on a farm <laughs> um yeah. yeah so you know it's it's a lot of that too and and too like like you said Jared like not enough people talk about these scenarios and these situations um and I think that can be difficult because we don't have you know these conversations about like hey, like, yeah, this family issue is happening to us too. Like, how did you manage it? And like, what did you do? And um, how did you do it? And like, what was the first step? And was it terrifying? Absolutely. And, um, you know, but we did it. And and just being willing to have some of those deeper conversations in agriculture so people don't feel alone and they don't feel like, you know, that they're on an island with these situations and scenarios that unfortunately exist in in agriculture, um, I always, I always struggle with like a lot of businesses, right? Like they have plans in place. They're set up as an Inc and LLC, or they're, they've got succession plans in place for if something happens to them because they have a board or a CEO or whatever. And, and farming just, we don't do that as farms. We don't set up that way to, to ensure and, and tell those plans. And I don't know, it just, 
there's so much in agriculture that people don't talk about and and these kind of conversations I feel like need to happen more so that way you know people know like hey you can do it it's okay scary Mm -hmm. but it's okay Yeah. (laughs) yeah yeah no absolutely and and I'm curious if they're you know, you, you've shared a lot of already tips and thoughts and experiences, but I mean, any tips for that first, those first uh, few months, years, you know, the, when you're starting off for somebody who might be in this position and, and does decide to go off on their own? I would think, say one of the biggest things that you need to do is look at yourself and understand your strengths. Like, for, for us, it was pretty easy for us to decide to buy old equipment and fix it up because mm-hmm. my strength is fixing things. But like you said, you're not a mechanic. That's why you don't you <laughs> nope. use grazing animals. So yes. you have to understand yourself. If, if you don't know how to, to work on equipment, buying a 1979 auction grain truck probably isn't the best idea for you you know you're going to want to use your network and find people who have the skills that you lack and invite them to help you out you know we have friends who have brought combines over when before we had ours kind of up and running you know my grain truck is good going from field to farm uh, but the markets I deliver to are too far away. Uh, so I've mm. got a friend who works as a, uh, trucker and he comes and, and loads my grain and takes it to the cities and comes back. And, you know, he's pretty self-sufficient until we get down to the sweep in the bin. You know, yeah. those are the people mm-hmm. that, that you need to take an inventory of what you need and find the people Pay, the, pay them what they're worth and they're going to want to help you yeah. out. You know, I don't get any discounts yeah. on, on anything I need. I never ask mm-hmm. for one because I don't, I wouldn't feel, mm-hmm. <laughs> feel right taking someone's money away from them. Yeah. You'd be surprised if you tell people, you know, Hey, I, I'll pay you whatever, you know, keep track of your hours, submit your bill or whatever. You'd be surprised mm-hmm. at how few people actually send you the bill. Because people really do want to help other people too. As I say, I know one of my big goals is when I'm established and there are young farmers that are looking up to me, my goal is to help them as much as possible. You know, I don't, I don't want someone to struggle. I want to help out anywhere I can. Yeah, I was just uh, on Twitter this morning and saw a post of a farmer who said, uh, nothing more rewarding than helping your employee harvest his first field. And I was like, that's really cool. You know, he could, it was, and read the, the, the kind of the Twitter trail there. And, you know, he had the opportunity to rent this farm and could have rented it himself and just kept growing his farm, but chose to let his employee start his own thing. And yeah, that's, that's super cool. I I, I think that's an awesome, awesome goal. Yeah. But Sarah, did you have any, uh, any tips that you want to share kind of through this? Yeah. For the person who might be taking this, the same, step yeah I guess um I would echo what Mark says with know your network because you will be asking people questions that you didn't think you'd be asking (laughs) um uh you know when we so I grew up you know we had beef cattle but 
you know, I think about like the things that like my dad just knew and did versus like what I had to learn once we finally got our own here. Um, you know, mm-hmm. like, yeah, I fed the beef cattle. I, I helped when the vet came over and stuff. Like I didn't pay attention to things like, oh, this is, you know, the, the antibiotic that was used when they got sick, or this was, mm-hmm. um, you know, like the feed ratio that we gave them. Like, you know, it was just like, mm-hmm. oh, yep, it's mm-hmm. my chore to go feed them. <laughs> um, So having to like kind of switch that mindset, like I reached out to a lot of different people and sometimes it was just a quick text or, or even a Snapchat to people that I knew that raised calves and, and, um, could answer those questions for me. And, um, you know, sometimes it was like, Hey, where do I, where do I get this? Um, or do you know anybody that might have this laying around or I'm, you know, I reached out to one of my friends um, for this next year. I said, hey, do you have any farmers that you work with that are looking for, you know, some new application acres to pick up because we're looking for a new applicator? And he was like, absolutely. Give me your phone number. I've got three off the top of my head. Um, mm-hmm. So understanding like that your network is going to come in handy. And I will say like, I'll plug Farm Bureau because Farm Bureau, I mean, that's how I met you. Um has created that network for us in a lot of ways. Um, So get get involved with whatever organization that um, you feel like you should get involved with. There's tons out there. There's commodity specific ones. There's young farmer specific ones. There's, um, you know, soil health specific ones. There's different organizations that you can get involved with that will help you, you know, and even just like you know, with Mark and working for ETS, you know, his boss is absolutely fantastic and has helped us out with Mm -hmm. different things with tractors and semis and stuff like that. And it's just really utilizing that network. Um, So know your network and utilize it when you have questions. And then I would also say is just don't be afraid to start small. Um, You know, maybe you're like, gosh, I'm not ready to take a big leap right now, but I really want to you know, raise sheep, or I really want to get some beef cattle. Do that. Start small. We started literally with four calves and that was our first batch of calves. And now, you know, we process about 20 to 25 head a year and yeah, we're still small, um, but we do all retail beef. So for us, that's actually like, Mm -hmm. okay, that's two per month. That's pretty good. (laughs) Um, Yeah. That's fantastic. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, when you think about like our first batch was literally four. <laughs> so, yeah. um, you know, and even with our sheep, uh, we started with two. <laughs> so, you know, if it, if it's really a calling for you and you're not sure where to go with it, you know, take the first step and start small. It's, it's okay to, to try. Maybe you really want to raise flowers and you're just like, I'm going to try one raised bet, do it, you know, um, just start small and, and don't be afraid that you're small. I know, I get caught in a trap a lot, even writing about our farm where I'll be like, oh, we have a small farm operation or we have a small beef herd. And then I like go back and I take out small. I'm like, no, quit making it small. (laughs) Like quit making it that way because it is, it's part of our operation. It's part of our business and it's not small to us. So just start, I guess. Yeah. And and that's a great segue into the livestock side, which I, I wanted to talk about too. And we're already at an hour. So I I uh, I'll, we'll try to move uh, through this. I don't want to hold you guys too long, but I want to talk about your livestock side and what you guys are doing with that too, because it's been uh, cool to see you grow that. Yeah. Um, so we, I guess we have three kinds of livestock, unless you count, you know, your traditional, you've got kids. So you've got like a rabbit and dog and cat <laughs> and a horse. <laughs> 
um, on the farm, but we have uh, honeybees, which we do consider livestock, um, just based on the care that we have to give them. And then we have our beef cattle, and then we have Suffolk sheep, and they all kind of serve different purposes. The bees, we sell all of our honey and beeswax from, um, and then we have done some pollination things with them in the past. It just kind of varies from year to year. And then our beef cattle, we do quarters, halves, and then predominantly retail cuts. Uh, we sell a lot of ground beef. <laughs> and then uh, our Suffolk sheep uh, is kind of an avenue for our children to really be more involved in things like 4-H and FFA. Uh, I didn't have 4-H or FFA options really for me growing up. So wanted to have that opportunity for our kids. And we have a great friend who has been a phenomenal mentor and has helped us out a lot with it and started our herd. And and the hope is to, you know, continue to grow it to really be kind of a, that show sheep kind of operation. And then maybe even start that offshoot of more of that commercial flock that we can sell some some lamb at some point too because if you've ever had lamb it's it's very good (laughs) (laughs) yeah we had uh my dad when i was young we had like 400 sheep and i still don't think i've ever even had any lamb so i i've I've not not had it even though we used to have a bunch (laughs) i uh, i really should sometime but i'm a beef eater at heart so i i struggle with that but i would put good lamb chops up ribeye any day really Wow. That's a, uh, <laughs> that's a pretty impressive, uh, uh, compliment, I guess I'll have to try it then. No doubt. So, um, yes. Well, cool. And, and so you, you mentioned kind of a lot uh, with the beef and the, the, the honeybees specifically, it sounds like direct marketing is a big piece of that. Um, why, why, why was that, uh, the decision and, and how have you gone about building the direct marketing enterprise? Yeah. So, uh, with the beef, especially, we just kind of realized when people buy like a quarter or a half, like, yep, you can get things, you know, cut the way you want, but they don't always know like how to use them. Or maybe they only really like one beef cut at the end of the day, or they only, you know, really eat tacos or spaghetti where they need ground beef or something. Right. Or they have different times of the year. So, you know, during the summer, they're grilling more steaks So, and then also realizing that people don't necessarily have a lot of freezer space either. Uh, You know, growing up on a farm, we had two deep freezes, right? So we always had pretty much, we had hogs and then beef. So we always had like a hog or a quarter of a beef or half a beef in the freezer at all times, Mm -hmm. but not everybody has that luxury, right? They don't have the space for a big freezer or anything like that. So kind of just started to examine that and we're still always we're still kind of always examining ebbs and flows of like what sells well and what doesn't and ground beef is definitely like our number one seller we have people that will buy like a whole steer from us and they just get it ground into ground beef because that's how much they want and how much they go through and it's always funny because our processor is always like are they sure and we're like (laughs) yeah like that's what they use in their family (laughs) and um it's just kind of been the recognition of that is that people have a preference. And if we can offer that, um, it's great. We do delivery. So we deliver every Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So as long as people, um, 
get their orders in by basically midnight on Thursday. They can have it on their doorstep Friday afternoon. Um, we work with them to like say like, hey, when do you want it delivered? Um, so we kind of offer that as a nice service, a nice addition. Other people like to come pick it up on, on the farm, which is great too. Uh, some people want to come out and see what we're doing. And I think with COVID, when that hit too, um, and people were, you know, just more aware of what was going on with farms in the situation and, you know, suddenly grocery store shelves were bare, uh, they turned to farmers and, and that was definitely helpful in terms of selling beef. And then kind of with like the honey too, is we pretty much sell out, you know, to all of our family and friends every year. We're not huge. We're not like 300 hives. We don't go south with them or anything like that. They went over winter here in Minnesota. But I think people just are like, oh, good honey, like, like real honey. Uh, even like our daycare lady, she bought some recently and she like took a little bit of it and put it in a jar for her dad. And her dad was like, where'd you get this? And she was like, I'm not telling, you know? And he was like, this is real honey. This is real stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, hmm. so she's like, I'm going to need more as soon as you guys get your honey process. And we were like, yep, got it. <laughs> so yeah. Um, I think just having the ability to have that connection with farmers and, and the retail side of things has always kind of been one of our goals. And when Mark mentioned at the beginning of the podcast on the um, crop side is that farmers are traditionally price takers and we didn't really want to be price takers when it came to, to those things. So, you know, we really look at the time that we spend, what our costs are and, and factor that into, you know, what we charge and, still try to keep it affordable for families because we know families are on budgets and so far it's, it's been working. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mark, do you have anything to add on that? No, she pretty well covered it. <laughs> okay. Great. She's, she's definitely more of a marketing person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one thing I, I will ask about too, is your social media. Cause I do enjoy following you on Instagram and stuff and how you've, uh, you, you, you are entertaining it and really active on that. I mean, that's been, it must have been an intentional decision because uh, I don't know, we, it's, it's tough to be as consistent on that. Yeah. Um, I've had to kind of like get out of my own head a little bit with a lot of it to be like, okay, you can be silly and weird. And, mm. yeah, yeah. you know, I had, yeah. um, I was, I had a friend be like, you know, the people that are meant to be part of your business and your circle, they will find you and they will be a part of it and they will love it. And the people that don't want to be like, that just leaves more room for the yeses in your life to come in and be a part of it. So I've had to kind of get out of my own head a little bit to just be like, be goofy. Uh, unfortunately, I have to force yeah. Mark still. He's like, why? But we need a little bit of, uh, we need a little motivation. Sometimes I, my wife always has to uh, remind me like, you know, take some videos or make a story while you're out there today. And yeah, it needs yeah. reminders and a little extra push sometimes. So. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's, it can be hard. Cause it's like, oh gosh, who's going to like, Am I going to say something wrong? Is somebody going to judge me? And mm. sometimes people mm -hmm. do come out of the woodwork and like say things. And sometimes I'll respond back. And other times I'm just like, oh, delete. I don't want to deal with it. <laughs> yeah, um, you've actually had, you've actually had some responses, uh, negative responses yeah. and stuff. Yeah, I did. Oh. a I did a Instagram reel not that long ago um, that was using um, 
oh gosh, um, now I'm mind blanking on his name, which is terrible. Um, the Dirty Works guy. Um, oh, jo- um, Ro, Micro. Yes, Micro. He had a, a phrase during one of his shows about, um, you know, agriculture and, and farming. And I did a reel with, with that. And people like, some of the comments people made, I was like, you clearly like saw one video on my page or you would have stuck around and realized like none of what you just said applies to us at all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they'd be like, oh, you giant farmers and like all this stuff, oh my and, gosh. you know, and I'm just like, oh, I mean, I farm with equipment from like the 80s, but it's OK. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and I did. I had wow. one person who like even I started on TikTok for a while, too, and I had one person who because we had talked about, you know, being debt free for the most part and, and owning a lot of our pieces. Mm-hmm. And they were like, uh, oh, and even that like big John Deere or something. And I was like, well, we rented that. Like we do rent equipment mm-hmm. too when we have to. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, yeah. But then I did like a funny video about the age of all of our equipment and how we got it, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, to just kind of let people know, like, it's okay. Like you can poke fun at when people you know, take one thing out of context. Um, yeah, yeah, it can be, it can be interesting, but I think it's, it's good to <laughs> let people see what life is like on the farm too. No, that makes sense. The last kind of question that I've got before I can do my wrap up questions for both of you is you've got all these things going on. Uh, it's a lot. I mean, between the marketing, the marketing alone is its own job, the crop farm alone, its own job, then you're doing all the other stuff and mechanics and and your, your family, and you both have full-time jobs or off-farm jobs. I don't know if they're full-time or not, but talk about that. How do you balance everything along with, with the jobs? (laughs) Balance. I was just going to say, yeah. um... (laughs) I like that. That was, that was perfect. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Well, I, I think one thing it helps is we, we chose this life. Like we, We've mm-hmm. known for a long time what it takes to to build our business. And mm-hmm. there are still days where I need a reminder that I'm working too hard or I need to remind her that uh, the Instagram post can wait until after supper with the kids or something. You know, we mm-hmm. we still have to remind each other. But the the thing is with, with our big crop being corn and soybeans we still have off seasons where we can you know during the summer i can come straight home from work most days and we can go camping with the family for a week you know find someone to do chores we can still take family time and it's important to be kind of mind blinking on the word (laughs) intentional with Mm. with the time we do spend together off the farm just being a, a normal family um and mm-hmm. then like dirt right now during harvest you know sarah will load up the kids and come out to the field and and we'll have supper we'll ride a little bit you know we try to give a phone call or facetime towards bedtime to you know let the kids know that i'm mm-hmm. still around you know it, it just it takes intentionality to kind of balance it all. And maybe Sarah has different perspectives. <laughs> um, I, 
you know, they always say like, you don't know what goes on behind closed doors. Behind my closed doors are mm-hmm. a lot of baskets of unfolded laundry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I hear you. Uh, I, hear you. <laughs> I think, you know, there's things that just give, like, I do not have a spotless clean house. Like some people do because, you know, where mm-hmm. I have chosen, like Mark said, like I make the choice to pack up kids and, and take them to see dad um, or to mm-hmm. ride in the tractor or help move equipment, whatever it is. Um, and I think too, like I've reframed how I look at spending quality time with my kids and with us as a family. So, you know, I think we get caught up in a comparison, um, trap a lot. And like, I've just had to reframe like, okay, taking kids out to, you know, learn and do the sheep chores and the cattle chores with us, even though it takes longer, it means the world to them and it's quality time with them for them. And um, just kind of doing a lot of reframing of that mindset too, of being like, just because something is something we have to do for the farm doesn't mean that it's not spending quality time together. Harper showed sheep for the first time at 4-H. She's a clover bud. So, I mean, it doesn't really count. You get a participation ribbon. Mm-hmm. Um, but mm-hmm. like, that was a whole new experience for me. And like Mark did some 4-H, but nothing like that. He showed rabbits. So not quite as intense as like sheep, right? Mm-hmm. And like doing that all together as a family and, and having that experience as a family, even though it was kind of part of the farm, it was quality time together. And that was part of that balance, right. That you talk about. So I think for me, it's just a lot of that reframe of our mindset. And I've worked really hard probably in the last year or two to, to really reframe that because otherwise things like packing up the kids for, you know, time in the field with dad can be work and frustrating. But if you, if you really work on reframing it and it's hard, it is definitely mental work to do it. I think it just makes a huge difference in, you know, the, whether your home is happy and how you're feeling and, and things like that. And there are things that just give, I've got dishes in the sink that I'm going to have to be up late doing tonight. And, you know, I think things like that, carving out time, I I use a planner and I, I carve out time for marketing. I carve out time for book work. And I think it's just a lot of being kind of what Mark said too, is intentional with what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, You've made the choice to to do this. So, um, you know, reframing your mind to be like, all right, let's do this. <laughs> I was just going to say, we both believe that within a couple of years, you know, our, all this work we've put and sacrifice we put in, will come back around and one of us will be on the farm full time, you know? And when we get to that point, it's going to be like, you know, so many hours have opened up in our lives, you know, 40 hours a week, basically, that we will be able to look back and and say, you know, we may have not had enough time together in the last few years, but now we've got 40 years to spend, you know, more quality time together. Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. it's important to be looking forward to, 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 where your goals are yeah well it, it's dave ramsey isn't he the one that says something along the lines of live today like oh, i wanted i'm gonna butcher it now there's a bunch of people live like <laughs> no one wants to so that later you can live like no one can something along those lines yeah something like that yeah 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 and and sarah i i like that you shared i i think it's i, I appreciate that you shared like that you don't always have the perfect house because 
we do not oh my gosh we do not and i think it's good just to like give people permission to accept like that this you know when you're doing this it's okay yeah i don't know like i feel like we even have struggles sometimes where it feels like we're just not doing what we should be maybe not keeping up with uh where everybody else is but we're ahead in other ways too and i think that's okay so yeah i think you're absolutely right it's it's easy to get especially when everyone's showing you know instagram Mm -hmm. reality right but i think about like the house i grew up in it was not perfect and there was you know not organized games and puzzles and toys were on the floor and Mm -hmm. but our parents didn't have instagram to show us things that look perfect (laughs) you know so um and kids are kids and you know and there's only so much time with them right so Mm -hmm. i don't know i've just learned to accept it and our our house is a home and it's lived in Mm -hmm. we live here (laughs) yes (laughs) that's great um well i i guess kind of wrapping up here is there anything that i missed that in your story that you think would be worth sharing that that you'd like to talk about i can't think of anything uh man it's always that like ending question of what else do you want to share (laughs) yeah 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 oh yeah no putting you on the spot nothing like that so yeah I don't know. I would, I guess uh, for us, I would say like, we both didn't necessarily think like that we would be back in agriculture either. Mm. You know, I did not go for degrees in agriculture. Mark's first initial degree that he was going for was a pilot, was a private pilot. So he has his Mm. pilot's license and here we are. So there's room and opportunity in agriculture, right? Whether you want to farm, you want to work in agriculture, both our off-farm jobs have ties to agriculture and kind of are part of that mm-hmm. world. And I guess our story, we never really kind of thought would, would go this way, but once we made the decision um, and kind of leaned into like, this is the decision and these are our desires and um, you know, this is what we're going to do. So, you know, once you, mm-hmm. you make that decision and you, you lean in, if agriculture is where you want to be, it's okay to go all in. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Um, then the last two short questions, uh, one is what resources would you recommend that, you know, has been important in your guys's growth? And that can be anything from a you know podcast to a book, to a conference or anything that you would recommend people check out and one or two from each of you would, would be great. I would say so. the two biggest things that jump-started us would be Farm Bureau. You know, we got involved and met people and just continually got involved deeper and deeper. You know, we started as just county board member. And then, you know, we, we went to Farm Bureau conferences and met people. And then we became state board members. And, and you know, it mm-hmm. just... We got involved and met so many people that inspired us and helped us. And, you know, just even, even if they're too far away to really help us, there's still friends that we enjoy visiting and talking to and chatting with. The other thing is we started in the farm business management program at South Central College. Um, And of course, we've since moved up to the legacy farmer. But if you're starting out Farm business management is a great resource and it's very affordable. Um, it gave us a huge start on learning how to keep track of our numbers and and how to use them to our advantage. So I think that was a that was a great starting point for us. 
Yeah, I would agree with Mark. And then um, I would say too, like before we joined Legacy Farmer, we kind of like you listened to the podcast from them, mm-hmm. from Jace. And he's got a ton of different episodes and like every, ep- I have a shower radio. So I would just stream it to my shower radio and like, I'd get out of the shower and I'd be like, yeah, like, let's do this. Like, oh, Mark, <laughs> did you listen to this? And like, oh, <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> like I would just be like, Pumped, ready for the day. Yeah. Like, I would just be like pumped. I'd be like, oh, this is like us. Or like, you need to hear this. And I'd be like yeah. texting it. I'd be sharing the episode with Mark being like, did you, did you listen? Like you need to right now. <laughs> um, so yeah. I really I enjoyed that podcast for a variety of reasons. Um, I would say too, is um, just the different resources that like your state has to offer for various things. So like we had a, applied for a MDA, uh, Minnesota Department of Agriculture grant uh, when we did our honey mm-hmm. business and did a value added grant. So um, that was definitely a resource for us. So look into your, your state Department of Agriculture to see what kind of resources they have in terms of like funding and getting started. Um, as well as like classes and things like that. Um, you know, we've utilized extension, especially on the honeybee side and taken classes that way mm-hmm. um, sure. because raising honeybees is a whole different game <laughs> and um, yeah. had a lot to learn. So we took classes through um, University of Minnesota extension. So just kind of utilizing some of those other things that are out there um, that might exist in your state. Don't be afraid to, yeah. you know, go to them and and make the time to do it. If you have to take a day off work or a half a day, Mm -hmm. um, that is one thing that I will say a good thing that came out of COVID is so many things that are now like webinars where you can stream them when it works for you, or you can join, you know, late at night. So, um, you don't have to necessarily make an hour drive to go there anymore. So there's lots of opportunities now. I think that check out your Mm -hmm. state department of agriculture, your extension and, um, find some good podcasts like Legacy Farmer or this one, <laughs> um, you know, yes. that um, <laughs> that will help you, you know, just learn from other farmers. Awesome. Well, those are great resources. Uh, last question is where can people find you? You're, you know, you can plug anything, you know, social media is there anything if people want to, you know, learn more about you or, or reach out. Yeah. So um, we're on Instagram and Facebook. We're Maplewood Farms MN for Minnesota. And then it's just maplewoodfarmsmn.com as well for our website. We also have one for our honey business, which is Sweet Cheeks Honey MN, or it's on Instagram too. Instagram too. So if you search it, you'll find us. So we're on basically all of you know the major social media channels, I guess. Mark's pretty active on Twitter. I don't even know your Twitter handle. <laughs> I think it's. Just- uh, I'm not really very active. I'm just a lurker. Lurker. Yeah. Same. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Um, so he follows I, other people. <laughs> I do have an Instagram account, right, honey? That's the Instagram that I started for the grilling. Yep. Yeah. What is it? It's Meat Mark, but it's M E A T. Yep. So <laughs> I uh, I try to share things, uh, recipes I'm grilling and whatnot, so that uh, people who buy cool. like you know, a whole steer from us kind of have an idea of what to do with some of these cuts and roasts and stuff that they're not used to. So some days it's just, you know, some days it's just throwing a big steak on the grill, but you know, other days it's how to prepare your own spice rub. You know, I did a tri-tip once where I I made the rub from scratch. So I just 
kind of cool things, try and give other people inspiration and, and hopefully get them to enjoy some of those lesser known cuts of beef. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. This was fantastic. I, I, I think you guys are doing such a cool thing and like just the courage to step away from what's comfortable and what, you know, and to do something that's uncomfortable. And, and now is clearly, you know, while has brought challenges, has brought a lot of reward and, and I'm just excited to continue to follow your story and, and thanks so much for sharing it today with, with, uh, with me. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thanks for having us on Jared. Much appreciated. The Herd Quitter Podcast is brought to you by Faro Cattle Company, whose mission is to help ranchers put more fun and profit into their business. You can get more information on Faro Cattle Company at farocattle.com. And if you enjoy what you've heard on this podcast, be sure to subscribe and check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Herd Quitter Podcast or at herdquitterpodcast.com. <laughs>